I get to be outside. Um, I get to experience a new environment. I get to see turtles every day and see turtles that very, very few people have seen. And to me, there's absolutely nothing monotonous about that. It's absolutely incredible. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. Hey everyone, I'm Blake Fletcher and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast where we explore the interesting paths that people decide to take in life. And in today's episode, we'll be talking with Doug Rice, who is a turtle biologist. So we'll learn all kinds of cool, interesting facts about turtles, like what types of species of turtles there are, what sizes they come in, where they live, how turtles have sex. And we'll also discover like why is it that we even really care about turtles in the first place? And why do biologists track them and other sorts of animals down and tag them and follow them? And, and what are we doing this whole time? So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, then you will probably enjoy this episode. If you would like to support the show in any way, I just launched a Patreon page and I would be honored and humbled and incredibly excited if you decided to um, donate any uh, money per episode through the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash half hour intern and there's links on my website. And if you don't have any money or you don't want that sort of commitment, uh, if you could just tell a friend about the show or leave a review on iTunes, I would be equally excited and equally appreciative. So anything you could do would help out a lot. Without further ado, here is Turtle Biologist. Doug, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. So why don't we start out with, like, why turtles, Doug? Like, why why did you become a turtle biologist and not some sort of other biologist? And for that matter, in biology, is it like being a surgeon or something where you have, like, a fellowship and you have to declare, like, this is my thing? Like, a surgeon says, like, I'm going to be a plastic surgeon. You have to be like, I'm going to be a turtle guy. Or, like, how does that all go down? Um... A little bit, yeah. Not quite as extreme as a surgeon, <laughs> but I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, I It's something I sort of fell into, I guess. I studied a lot of marine biology in college, um, and then right after college, um, I interviewed or I interned with Moat Marine Lab down in Florida doing sea turtle stuff, um, and from there, it kind of snowballed one one turtle job to another. So is it one of those things where you kind of get pigeonholed and it's like once you're a turtle guy, you kind of then have to be a turtle guy as well? Like if you right now wanted to go and work with whales, are they going to be like, come on, Doug, you're a turtle guy? <laughs> um, to an extent, yeah. Yeah. And that was a, kind of a big consideration for me early on when I was picking jobs about whether this is something that I really wanted to do and not pigeonhole myself too much by getting too much experience in just one thing. Um, but, uh, it's a little bit broader than just turtles. Um, so I would be plenty qualified, I think anyway, um, to go ahead and work with, um, other species in herpetology. So reptiles and amphibians, um, whereas most other people are going to be with birds or, um, marine mammals or, um, fish or whatever. So it's not down t just to turtles, but, it, but you do kind of have to pick a, pick a discipline and run with it. Okay, yeah. So I, that's what I was going to ask about. You just mentioned herpetology. If you could go into that in a little bit more depth and talk about maybe some of the other 
um, animals that would be in like the general classification that you're talking about, because that's something I was thinking is like, all right, if you're a marine biologist, there's so many, there's so much marine life, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. so many different things you can do. Or like you said, if you study birds, like we, the very first episode of this podcast ever was bird watching and there's just thousands of birds for you to study. Um, are you like, yeah, what other types of things are in the overall family of turtles? Um, so it's going to be, uh, all your reptiles and amphibians. Um, so snakes, lizards, um, uh, frogs, um, tortoises, which are effectively turtles. Um, kind of anything like that. Most it's most animals that are cold blooded that are not fish for the most part. Do you, so I find it interesting. Like I would imagine you are kind of, you you get like the coolest job out of all the biologists because (laughs) there's sea turtles. So you could like go swimming in the ocean with like snorkel gear or scuba gear or whatever, like following around sea turtles. Or you could be like right now you're studying a bog turtle in bogs, or you can study like woodland turtles or this or that. Are, are, are you kind of like the only biologist like that, that really gets to go like anywhere in the world because of turtles? Um, I definitely, that's definitely a big draw for me in herpetology is that there's, everything is so different. And there are these animals that are adapted to live in all these different environments. So if I got tired of living up in the mountains doing research on bogs, I can go to the I can go to the middle of the desert and study frogs or lizards for a while. Um, and I would, I would say in herpetology, there's a much wider diversity of habitats than, especially like a marine biologist. That's just the ocean. Super cool. Um, don't get me wrong. That's what I did a lot in college and I love, but it's not, I like the diversity. It keeps things interesting. Um, and you mentioned sea turtles specifically. Um, and they, generally are kind of left out of larger herpetology. Um, they're more lumped into marine biology. Um, and they, they actually end up getting the huge lion's share of the funding in herpetology uh, is sea turtles. Because, I mean, who doesn't love a sea turtle? It's pretty easy to raise money for that. Yeah, no doubt, man. So let's, uh, let's do a little bit of turtle learning before we go into what exactly you do for a living so what are some of like your favorite facts about turtles tell us what your favorite turtle is and why and you know all that kind of stuff who's your favorite ninja turtle (laughs) um oh god i haven't seen ninja turtles uh for years but um donatello is uh probably my favorite name period i love that name i have since i was a little kid so that's what i'm gonna go with there. plus he's the smart one and you're the exactly. biologist so yeah uh, aspirational <laughs> <laughs> um okay some turtle facts well the turtle i work with right now is um the actually the smallest turtle in north america they only get to be about four inches um along um their shell um, so they're teeny, teeny, tiny, um, and they spend like 90% of their time when they're not basking in the mud. So it's, it's an animal that very, very few people have seen, um, which is just crazy. Um, one of, I think the most interesting things about turtles is that they will generally, um, go back to the same area where they were laid 
initially, like as an egg. Um, so sea turtles will come back, the females will come back to pretty much the exact same stretch of beach that they were born on. And almost all turtles, all the turtles I've worked with, which has been sea turtles, wood turtles, and bog turtles, um, they all have the same kind of homing mechanism, um, which I love. I am from Oregon originally, so which crazy. Massachusetts, and I've moved all around. And so I like that they kind of have, have, have home in mind. Yeah. It's interesting that they ever leave. It's just like, dude, yeah. you could have just hung out here and you wouldn't have had to expend all this energy coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and most of the reason why they move around is really just to find each other. Cause in a, in a given habitat, there's not going to be a, a huge population of turtles. And so they really have to, and they disperse themselves pretty well. So they kind of have to move around and it takes a long time. <laughs> How many <laughs> eggs do various around. turtles lay and does it, does it vary a lot? Um, it varies quite a bit. Um, and it largely by, um, body size. Um, so like a sea turtle can lay upwards of like a hundred, uh, eggs, hundred, maybe 120, um, wood turtles, um, which are, I would say they're about six inches long, six or seven, maybe. Um, they lay about 12. Um, and the bog turtles that I work with lay, uh, about two to four. That's crazy. I would have figured it was going to be the exact opposite. When you said based on size, I was going to figure that like the smaller they are, the more eggs they lay. No, because because the eggs are um, bog turtle eggs are really, really small and wood turtle eggs are a little bit bigger. But sea turtle eggs, given they're 100 times the size, are maybe the eggs are maybe twice the size. The, you mean the egg is only twice the size of like a wood turtle, but yeah. they end up growing to like, yeah, 20 times the size of a wood turtle. Exactly. Or exactly. Okay. It's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right, dude, let's talk a little bit about what you do. So for one, in writing with me, you were saying that you, during the, the season, the quote unquote season, you, you wor- work as a turtle biologist. And when it's off season, you work as a bartender, which is an awesome dichotomy, by the way. But so yeah. off season is fall and winter. So what are the turtles doing in fall and winter that you're not looking after them? Well, so sea turtles, people will continue to study in the fall and winter. Um, they just migrate a little bit more. So you either have to follow them or take an off season. Um, wood turtles and bog turtles both hibernate. Um, so they go down in a really deep part of the bog or, or like a seep, um, where the water is going to stay a consistent temperature, um, and basically hibernate. Okay. Interesting. I, so, I, it, when you have a shell, like I, it, it's strange to me that you would ever hibernate. I feel like you could just kind of constantly go back and forth between hibernating and not hibernating. Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting and they're able to, cause they stay underwater the, that entire time. Um, and they're able to filter um, filter oxygen out of the water so they can effectively breathe underwater without gills. That's amazing. Do they, cool. do they do that only when they are hibernating, or will they, will they do that during the year as well? They'll do that during the year as well, but um, they are obviously cold-blooded. Um, and so during the spring and summer when the sun is really intense, that's when they need to get out and um, forage and uh, soak up as much sun so they can have energy to... Um, produce eggs and mates. Oh, right, right. So So when the sun's not out, they're going to have so little energy, it just really behooves them to start hibernating. Exactly, yeah. And they'll stay warmer. They'll stay warmer in deep, deep water than they would outside of it in the snow or whatever else. Okay, 
Cool, man. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, okay. I love animals. I love all these facts that I've already learned thus far. I love watching stuff like planet earth and life and like oh, yeah, any sure. animal documentary. I'm like all on board for, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was a little boy, but like, why exactly do we care what the turtles are doing? So you follow these turtles around for half of the year just to like mm-hmm. scope them out and stuff. Like why the hell do we care what the turtles are doing? Um, that's a really difficult question to answer. Um, because I have, I have friends from college who work in, uh, fisheries and that's much more directly, um, kind of human related. They provide a service to us, I guess. Um, we can eat them. Um, you have to maintain a decent population size so that you have something to fish, but turtles don't have any clear, um, use to humans. Um, and so that makes kind of empathizing with them more difficult and figuring out why we should care more difficult. Um, and what I think is that, um, the main problem with maintaining, especially populations of bog turtles is, um, habitat loss and poaching. Um, and so I see what I do, um, as a way to counteract what we've already done to them and help them out because they're essentially an innocent party. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, for sure. It absolutely does. So yeah, let's, first of all, let's talk more about what you do and then we'll talk about our impact on the turtles. So, um, obviously I said, you're following these turtles all day. So like, what, like, what are you doing when you're following them around? And like, what are these things that you're trying to keep track of as a biologist? Um, so largely what I'm doing right now, um, is we're working on a, head starting program for these turtles, which means we, um, take gravid, um, females who have eggs, um, into captivity, let them lay, we hatch the eggs and raise them for a year and then release them, hoping that they'll, they'll grow more and have a better shot at surviving year to year. Um, so I follow them around to a determine, um, their predation rates. Um, so I can tell if they're getting eaten or they're just all kind of dying off for some reason. Um, but, in the site that I work in right now, that's not really a huge problem. Um, and then the second reason why we're kind of doing this is to, um, see how they're using the habitat and see if, because these turtles are, um, these are hatchling turtles taken from turtles at a different site. So we're seeing if they, if the way that they use the habitat mimics the adult turtles in this particular site, um, which would, uh, indicate that they're um, not that the two sites are radically different, but they're adapting to the kind of minutia of the way that these two sites are different, um, which will, which will kind of show us that they um, they're going to be able to survive and persist year after year and hopefully grow large enough to produce their own eggs. Okay. So this brings on my next question is if they are not adaptable enough to figure that out, then shouldn't we just kind of let Darwinism play out? And like, if you can't adapt, then you die. Like, are we sort of like playing God by trying to, you know, get, like give these turtles a hand if they're not adapting very well? First of all, are, are we trying to give them a hand if it looks like they're not adapting? Um, and do you think that that's a good thing always? Um, that's, a, that's a really, really good question. Um, and I will do my best to answer it. Um, the head starting that we do... Um, often does kind of come under a lot of scrutiny because people do think the turtles should 
be left to do what they're going to do. Um, but particularly the one site I'm working at right now is um, an introduced site. Um, there have never been bog turtles found there, um, but it's a perfect site for them otherwise. Um, and it's well within what could have been their historic range. If our project works in this site, um, then we can effectively do the same thing in multiple other different sites um, that are perfect places for them when the spots where they were historically found um, maybe are becoming less and less, whether due to the weather or due to uh, human encroachment or whatever, if they're able, if um, these new sites we find are better and they're able to persist there. Um, and as far as what you said about letting Darwinism run its course, um, that's a good question. Um, there's what you just said about weather is a very interesting thing, by the way, it, just to assist you with, <laughs> with not feeling weird about that question, because <laughs> I, that's something I guess I didn't think about. It's very easy for us as people to say, okay, so let's say there's something in, the, in like a bog in the middle of the country mm. and um, you know, you're trying to help those turtles out and it's like, well, dude, no one's living in the bog anyways. Like, no, you know, you're not building a house on the bog. So, yeah. um, you're, we're not really going to like impact them in that way. That being said, you look at the increasing incidence of hurricanes and this and that and changing sea levels and, uh, temperatures and all of that is related to us being here. You know, so yeah. I, it doesn't have to be this direct thing of like, oh, we mowed down their trees like fern gully style and now they have nowhere to go. It could very well be a little bit more indirect of a thing that the average temperature where they live has gone up five degrees and they are not meant to handle that, you know, or the, the rainfall has decreased by half or something. Um, well, you know. and, and um, exactly, exactly. And I would say that. um that particular problem is an even bigger problem for within herpetology um, because whether it's a reptile or amphibian, they need kind of very specific temperature and humidity levels um, to be as active as they need to be to persist. Um, so if it gets too hot and like sea turtles, for example, um, and I think maybe wood turtles are this way as well, have temperature-dependent sex determination. So the hotter it gets, um, the more females there are. So if it reaches a breaking point where all the eggs are born female, then the population is obviously going to collapse. That so, is incredible. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, so it's very hard to figure out how do we deal with this? You know what I mean? It's a, It's... A mini, mini, mini million piece puzzle. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about you and your future and like what you can do as a biologist. So we already talked about like the decision to to work with turtles and everything. Like, what does your future look like exactly? And do you think much about that? Like, are are you now going to be working with turtles your whole life? Like, what what happens exactly for a biologist? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to know, um, cause it's, I mean, it's just like any other part of life that are, um, kind of infinite roads you can go down, um, or infinite paths you can take and you don't really know where you're going to end up or how exactly to get where you want to be. And if where you want to be now is going to be where you want to be in 30 years. Um, so, um, the way I deal with this, um, which is different than a lot of other people I know, a lot of other people I know 
to go the straight academic route up through master's PhD professor, do research that way. Um, I'm much more happy working in the field directly with the animals. Um, but I'm also really, really interested in technology. Um, so my hope for my future, and this is an incredibly intangible plan, <laughs> is that I can find a way to merge um, m- m- kind of my interest in field herpetology and conservation with uh, technology. Um, and a lot of what I did in college was uh, GIS, which is Geographic Information Systems. Um, and at its simplest point, that's effectively taking data and mapping it spatially using the computer. Um and, and you take into account satellite data and all kinds of different data sources and kind of aggregate them together and see what patterns arise. Um, and I also just love puzzles and uh, puzzle games and kind of figuring out the solution to something. So that's something that really interests me um, and my kind of nerdier technology side. Um, Dude, Doug, I got really a really a good idea answer, for you, man. But, no, that's yeah. perfect. I have a good idea for you. So you like tech and you like the biology side of things. You totally need to create like an animals only Instagram. I don't know what we're doing, looking at pictures of other people and places and stuff. Like I only want to see animals all the time. So oh, no, we dude, need to get I, on that. I completely agree with you. I was, t- I was talking with my friends and I was like, why if I put up a picture of my face? If I'm not doing anything, I get three times as many likes as if I put up a picture of this rare turtle. Makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird, man. I yeah, I will never understand it. Um, all right, man. Let's get back to the uh, let's get back to the turtles for a bit and what you do. So, yeah, yeah. How long is it taking you to find the turtles in the wild? And talk about a little bit of the differences with your three major projects thus far. Because, like you mentioned, mm. that these bog turtles are very small and they're in a bog, so they're very difficult to find. Um, like talk about day one going out and looking for the turtles. Um, well, I'll start, I'll start with the bog turtles. Um, cause they are just a nightmare to find. Um, so they're in these bogs and they're the, some of our sites are very, very small in terms of area. But like I said, the turtles are about four inches long. Um, they spend most of the time when they're not up basking in knee deep mud or water. Um, and they have all these little channels through the mounds. Um, most of the bogs are kind of these channelized paths of water and mud with mounds of um, sphagnum moss and rushes and sedges and trees and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so they have, they mostly use the channels, but they also have these tight little tunnels in and through the moss and the sedges and the tree roots and everything. Um, and they're smaller than your hand is. Um, so it's really easy for them to get in spots that you physically can't get at them. Um, so a large part of what we do with the bog turtles, and I'm not great at finding them. If it's a nice sunny day, I can find a couple when they're up basking, but it's kind of a crapshoot, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Oh, yeah, I bet. Um, but what we do is we use traps. So we have uh, like a rectangular prism with two flaps on the end, and so the turtle can walk in, and then the flap goes back down, and then they can't go out. Um, so we just set those in channels where it looks like turtles are walking around, leave them for a day, go back, check them. There you've got turtle, hopefully. <laughs> so, and you're doing that so that you can then move them somewhere else just to make sure that if ever needed to one day, we will be able to move them somewhere else. Well, no, not exactly. Um, 
So what I'm doing with the adult turtles um, is just like the, um, if I find a male, I just, uh, we uh, file notches into the outside of their shell and give them numbers. Um, so all the turtles have an ID number. And so we know, and these turtles have been worked with for 15, 20 years, um, longer than that, actually 30. Um, and so we know who hangs out where. Um, and so if we don't see a turtle for an extended period of time, we can kind of assume it maybe has died. So a lot of the trapping is just population monitoring. Um, with the females, I put radio transmitter on them, um, which I can discuss more about how that works, if that's interesting to you, um, and follow them around until they are gravid and then take them into captivity, let them lay their eggs and then put them back. Um, so the only ones we're taking to different sites are the newly hatched turtles who have never actually lived in a wild environment. So we're not moving them from one wild environment to another we're moving them from captivity to a wild environment once a turtle is born i imagine that turtle eggs like all eggs are like prized possessions among predators like they love to eat them oh, but yes, uh sure. once a turtle is born are who are their predators are they like looking pretty good because they have a shell so they can just go inside their shell and nobody really messes with them or are they uh, is it pretty easy for other animals to eat them well Turtles, turtles are interesting because the key conservation problem with them is getting them to about three, four, five years old. Because um, once you're at that point, they have a really hard shell. Nothing's going to be able to get at them. But when they're really young, their shells are still really soft and they're growing so rapidly that they aren't laying down um, the, like the calcium that makes the shell hard. Um, they're just focusing on growing. So their shells are still kind of soft. Um, and, and raccoons especially, um, will take them and, um, just rip the bottom part of the shell off and then scoop all the turtle guts and stuff out. Oh, and dude, what it. a terrible way to die. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> what does a turtle look like inside of its shell? Like if you were to take the shell off of a turtle, what does that even look like? Well, the, the shells are essentially their ribs, um, that have grown out and fused together. Um, so like the inside of a, um, the carapace of a turtle, which is the top part of its shell, um, is fused with its spine. Um, so if you, it's kind of like if you trying to make an analogy with humans, but nothing's really, it's kind of like if you, it's, it's hard to imagine because that's almost their whole structure yeah like if you were to you know if you I mean? were to be fused with your jacket and someone were to say like what do you look like when you take your jacket off it's like what are you talking about <laughs> i'm it, fused yeah, to it like there like, is no taking the jacket off it's like if you ask like your friend or your sister or whatever like oh what do you look like without your skin it's like well, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure they, you know, they'll probably get a restraining order on you but yeah <laughs> Exactly. And I don't, I don't ever, if I was a veterinarian, that's something I think I would know a little bit more about, but, um, that it, it's just not something I ever really, um, see. Um, and it's, and you know, a lot of people, kids, especially just picture turtles as like, they're inside this shell, like the way someone would put on like a bulletproof vest. Um, right. And that's not it at all. Kids and me, Doug, yeah. both think about turtles. <laughs> <Kids> so, <laughs> so, uh, do you ever find dead turtles when you're tracking them? And is that very sad or like a turtle you've been tracking for a while or do as soon as an animal dies in the wild, like will it get picked up pretty quickly by another animal? So you never really find bodies. 
Um, I haven't found any, let's see, um, certainly bog turtles. I haven't found any dead ones that I wasn't tracking. Um, I did find one of my juvenile turtles from last year. Um, a few days after we released them, I found it. Um, and its transmitter was still attached to its carapace, but I looked up its carapace and that was it. There wasn't any of the rest of the turtle attached to it. Um, so that was terrible. That was heartbreaking. These turtles were like my children, which sounds crazy, but <laughs> no, dude, that totally makes sense. If a turtle has a tra- if you put a transmitter on a turtle like that, um, does that ever like hurt its sex life or its ability to be accepted by other turtles? <laughs> um, well, I don't know the inner workings of turtle politics, but <laughs> if I were to take a guess, um, I really think no. Um, cause especially like the juveniles, um, we're using a very, very small transmitter. Um, we're using epoxy. We're basically gluing it onto them. Um, but it's glue that, um, will hang tough, um, until we need to pop it off and we can pop it off without hurting their shell. Um, and we've, I put transmitters on females that didn't have eggs, check them in a few weeks, they have eggs. Um, I assume fertilized eggs because they can produce eggs that are unfertilized and lay unfertilized eggs. Um, but I'm assuming, and we put them up on the females, on the males, it doesn't really matter where we put them, but on the females, we put them closer up towards the head. Um, still in the back half, but closer up towards the head so the male can get up over the turtle um, without the transmitter getting in the way. And the way that turtles mate is it like the same as as humans per se like is it you know one thing goes in the other thing or is it more (laughs) like fish or something they they like actually have sex so they have a cloaca um they have um like so male turtles have a um internal penis that'll come out of its cloaca and then into the female's cloaca um, so just looking at them, you can't, you can't sex them just by looking at them, how you do sex them, um, which I think this genius nature is, uh, just fantastic in this way is that the male turtles, their plaster on the underside of their shell, um, is, um, indented, um, so that when they go up on top of the female turtle, it fits the mound of the top of her shell. So great, man. I love that. Yeah. It's fun. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you never mentioned earlier what your favorite turtle is. Do you have one or is that what oh, you yeah. like feel really bad if like any of the other turtles were listening to this and they heard you say that? <laughs> um, well, of the three that I've worked with, um, sea turtles are so different from any other kind of turtle. It's hard for me. It would be hard for me to pick them as my favorite. Um, plus they just kind of seem less interesting to me um if you're really interested in migration and that kind of stuff they're a lot more interesting because they move a lot more but you don't necessarily get to know this one particular sea turtle um because they're moving around you might have a satellite tag on it and be able to follow it around but the wood turtles and bog turtles are much more interesting to me because you get to know a specific turtle and they truly truly do have personalities how much Um, do they move on a day-to-day basis um well, like if you're tracking one, could you all this would it be like a mile away the next day or is it like, you know, four feet away the next day for for a wood turtle? It could be um, wood turtles can hustle um, and bog turtles can can move far, but they generally don't. They'll move 
maybe a quarter of a mile. Maybe. Like, that's a big, big, big move for them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that, that definitely, I would imagine, makes it more fun. And yeah, Sea Turtle, who's like, look, man, I got better stuff to do than hang out here with you. I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And they're cool. And I, um, I love the work I did with them. I, I uh, did a study abroad program in college in the Caribbean, um, which was obviously amazing. And one of the professors studied sea turtles. Um, and so I got to work with him catching, um, catching the turtles at night. Um, so you snorkel around with a flashlight find a turtle because that's when they're drowsy. They don't really sleep, but they're kind of asleep. Um, and you would dive down with your light and your snorkel and grab it and then pull it back up onto the boat. We um, take a DNA sample, put a couple tags on and toss it back in the water. So that's a lot of fun. Mm, that's cool, man. That's really yeah. cool. Do you have a particular turtle that you like really want to be able to study one day? Is there like a turtle you got your eye on? Um, I would love to work with like diamondback terrapins, um, which live in kind of more brackish water, like salt marshes and stuff on the coast. Um, and I think, I think that would be fantastic. Um, cause I've, uh, a, a large part of my desire to work with different kinds of turtles is to work in different kinds of environments. Um, so I've worked in the mountains, I've worked in bogs, I've worked in, um, uh, Gulf Coast beaches, um, but I've never really done much work in salt marshes um, and and kind of that kind of habitat, um, which I think would be a blast. Yeah, um, definitely. I have this vision in my head of of kayaking around and um, diving in the water, catching turtles. So that that's the dream, yeah, <laughs> basically. So, Doug, before we wind this thing down and give people advice if they want to work with animals or if they want to do what you do if they're young enough and they could pivot to do something like that, or I guess age isn't really a factor, so that uh, I'm just going to strike that last statement. But l- let's learn a little bit more about your actual day-to-day life since that's actually you know, obviously yeah. a very important thing if anyone wants to do this. Like, What does it look like exactly? So six months of the year or a little bit less than six months of the year or whatever, first of all, you can't even do this. Like you're, you're then a bartender for those other six months of the year um, that you are doing this. Do you just have to sign short term rentals, uh, like a fully furnished apartment? Like where are you living? What is your lifestyle? Like how many hours a day are you working? Like, uh, is it super glamorous? Is it like really not glamorous? What are we talking here? Um, this is, this is very, very good. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, I do work, um, basically seasonal contracts. Um, at least for the moment I do anyway, if I can find something that's more permanent, that'd be great. But, um, it's, it, what I, the way it's structured right now is a great way to like move around and travel and see the country and work. Um, so living wise, it depends. Um, when I interned in Florida, I rented a room, um, in a woman's house. Um, so that was kind of just more like a regular, uh, rental. Um, when I worked with the wood turtles, I was living on, uh, Smithsonian's, uh, conservation biology Institute's campus. Um, and they have a big farmhouse that all the biology interns lived in together. Um, so that was a ton of fun. Uh, it was basically like a dorm, but a huge barn house. Um, and then, uh, my job now, I'm lucky enough that a couple of our sites are, nature conservancy property um and they have a house in a nature preserve um that some 
people use off and on throughout the year, but it's largely empty. Um, and so they let me stay there. Um, and it's essentially a cabin, but it's got electricity, running water, all the stuff back in the woods. Um, and it's absolutely heaven there. Glamorous? Absolutely not, but beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you enjoy that, then you would enjoy it. Um, yeah. And what is your job security like? So after a season ends, like, uh, since you're not going the research route, I assume that you're not having to write all these proposals and stuff. You're more like applying for jobs that are kind of already there. First of all, I guess, would that even be correct? And second, like, how many of these jobs are there? Are you ever like nervous? Like, oh, shit, like maybe next season I'm not going to get another another job. For sure. Yeah. And when I've when I've moved from one project to another, I I, I haven't known exactly where my next job is going to come from. Um, and that's why I end up doing clerical work or bartending or whatever in between. And I, I enjoy that for the most part, um, especially working in a bar. It, it really is. Yeah. I don't generally write up the grants, but a lot of what my work is grant funded. Um, so it really depends if people can get the grant, um, how many years of research they need to do. So on this bulk trial project, they need someone for two years or two, six months seasons um so i signed up to do both of those because um they need if you just have one year of tracking these turtles the juveniles you don't know that if if the year was a fluke or not or how to compare it to another one so they wanted they wanted two full years or two full seasons of data um so yeah sometimes sometimes i'm not exactly sure what or when i'll be working next um but I don't know. That's not something that's ever really bothered me. Um, especially if I'm in the right places, it's not, it's not hard to find other kind of work. Um, yeah. not necessarily the most glamorous or interesting work, but pays the bills. So, <laughs> so, and let's touch on that really quick. What is, what is the pay like and who pays you? Um, so at the moment I work for Zinoxville, um, cause they're the ones who have kind of maintained and looked after these turtles, um, for all these years. Um, and uh, so I'm funded by through them, but also through a couple of um, third party grants that they applied for. Um, when I worked with Wood Turtles, um, it was through the Smithsonian. And when I worked for with Sea Turtles, it was through Boat Marine Lab. So basically, I'm working for an institution doing the work that they want done. Um, so I'm, I'm largely a technician is what I am. Um, and then what is yeah. the pay like for that? For Wood Turtles, it was... Um, I was signed on for six months and they gave me a set amount of money that I think broke down to, um, I want to say something like 1200 a month plus housing. Um, and how, how many hours a day are you working and how many days a week? Um, with the wood turtle stuff, especially during the season we were working, there were a couple days where we worked 14 hours a day. Um, just for a couple weeks. And then the rest was kind of more like six and my job right now I work, about six hours a day um and is it five days a week or is it like six or seven it, it's five days a week yeah what i'm doing right now the stuff with the wood turtles was a lot more demanding because it was a much larger site with many many more nesting females um but yeah what I, what I do now is is about 30 hours a week uh, um and the zoo gives me 10 an hour for that plus housing um which is not bad it's not, it's not great. And I'm not putting a lot of money away, but my job is absolutely incredible. So yeah, you have a way cooler job than anyone else. And you are able to live doing it. Exactly. Exactly. 
When you're working these six to 14 hour days, is it is it all basically that same work? And is it is it always kind of this same work of like finding, tagging, um, putting them in one group or another? Uh, is that is that kind of like the extent of it? Or is there ever some like really outside the box thing that you have to do? Um, for the most part, it's pretty much the same stuff. Um, and the work, the work does follow a bell curve. So you're busiest in the middle of the season when you've got females nesting and you're tracking young turtles, at least at this bog turtle job. Um, so it is, it is kind of the same stuff, um, every day. Um, which I know for a lot of people will get monotonous, but I get to be outside. Um, I get to experience a new environment. I get to see turtles every day and see turtles that very, very few people have seen. And to me, there's absolutely nothing monotonous about that. It's absolutely incredible. So, yeah, you mentioned the monotony part. I I would imagine that it would almost be the opposite where you would kind of settle into this uh, like slower pace, as it were, and that then going back to work, your bartending jobs would just be like a huge like slap in the face by society. You know, like everything's just so in your face and fast paced. Does it feel like that? And do you like really look forward to getting back to a more like, you know, in nature, slower pace of life? Um, Or is it kind of cool and nice to have the yin and yang like during both times you look forward to the other times while also appreciating what you have yeah yeah no for sure um i i really enjoy both both components um and six months we'll we'll see as i start to get older and start to maybe want some more structure um god forbid but um (laughs) we'll we'll see if i um having six months at a time of me out in a cabin in the middle of the woods researching turtles and then going back to the city working at a bar wherever else um i get i get both sides of my personality um because i've always um i've always identified dead center on a um extrovert introvert spectrum um and so i by working six months at one end and then six months the other end i end up somewhere in the middle yeah that's cool man that's really cool yeah it's not bad so uh yeah let's give advice to anyone listening right now so first of all if someone wanted to do something very similar to you would they have to have a degree in biology is that like just an absolute prerequisite um not necessarily but it helps a lot um if you're just really, really, really interested, especially in herpetology there's a really tight community there um and so if you don't have a degree um, if you kind of know the right people, um, you could talk with them and, and work something out through that. But if you're kind of blind applying the way that I did, um, a degree certainly helps. Um, and background experience, um, is kind of a must, um, which makes sense. You know, if you're blind applying, they don't know, they only know what they're getting of you on paper. Right. So, Cool. Yeah, so if if somebody doesn't want to or doesn't have the funds to or is unable to get a degree like that right now and they would just like to spend more time working with animals, what sorts of suggestions would you have for them? Um, well, especially if they're interested in herpetology, um, there are um, herp societies um, all over the country, um, uh, generally for regions um, like Northeast or Southeast, or, and they have meetings I think a couple times a year. Um, so 
after just going out and finding stuff on your own, I would, I would go to those and just meet. I mean, it's like any other kind of profession. It's a large part of it. It's about knowing the right people. Um, so just meeting the people, it could even be online. It could be like on the herb section of Reddit or whatever, you know, just like meeting people and expanding your knowledge and expanding the people who you've met who think that, you know, you know your shit, even if you really don't. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Well, Doug, thank you so much for the advice, man. Thank you for, uh, for all the cool turtle facts. Thanks for letting us know about your favorite Ninja Turtle. All of course. Good stuff, man. It's been really good talking to you. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode with Doug and learned some more stuff about turtles. I haven't decided what episode I'm going to be putting out on Monday yet. So, you know, you and I can both be surprised by that one. And uh, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. And I appreciate all you guys so much. And it's so cool that you enjoy the show and that you listen. And I just love all you guys. So have a great weekend.